Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast, episode number 11. In this episode, I'm interviewing Bitten Jonsson, and Bitten was recommended to me by Bitter Kemper Bjorkman from episode 3. As you know, Lou, last year I did this recording by myself before you came on board with us. And in the recording, I mention you and say how we were having a conversation and you were going to be episode one and the What is Keto episode. But of course, everything's changed since then. So I thought it was worth a mention that you're here now. That's right, Jackie. I certainly am. You can't get rid of me now. <laughs> we're stuck together. So do you want to tell us a little bit about Bitten? Bitten is a registered nurse since 1973, and she's worked in addiction medicine since 1987, and more specifically, sugar addiction since 1993. She has developed a holistic addiction treatment model. She's worked with many group therapy treatments, and for many years, she's also included teaching and training professionals since 2012. Great. Let's listen to the interview. Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast, Bitten Johnson. It's great to have you with us. How are you today? Thank you. I'm great. Good. Thank you. So what I like to do is start off by asking, where in the world are you and how did you come to low-carb keto way of living? Well, uh, I'm in a small village in the middle of Sweden called Näsviken, outside the town called Hudiksvall. That's where I'm located. Mm -hmm. And... Um, my journey in this has been for 26 years, so it's a long food history. Yes. But I'm a recovering alcoholic since 1985, and actually that's when it started. Uh, and uh, I was in a treatment center in the U.S. and started to learn, uh, you know, about addiction. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with addiction medicine and the brain. So, uh, of course, you know, I have uh, studied a lot about it since, and at that time I was smoking. So after seven years in recovery, I figured, you know, uh, I was listening to a great lecture about relapse for alcoholics and drug addicts. Uh, and um, in the lecture, the teacher said that if you keep smoking and drinking a lot of coffee and eating junk food, you have a higher risk of relapsing into alcohol and drugs. And that was incredible news for me at that time, 1992. So I thought, uh oh, I don't want to relapse. <laughs> I went home and um, quit smoking and try to cut down on coffee. Yeah. And I thought, ooh, I'm lucky. I don't eat junk food because, you know, the only thing I thought junk food was was McDonald's. Yes. 
I never thought about, you know, like cookies and cakes and sweets and, you know, everything else. That's how much I knew about nutrition. And I'm a nurse. So, I mean, imagine. Were were you a nurse at the time? Oh, yeah. Since 1973. Yeah. Okay. So, So... uh, and of course, you know, I started thinking that I should treat myself to a little bit of chocolate every evening because I was a good girl not smoking. <laughs> and well, being the addict I was, you know, uh, one piece of chocolate led to 100, led to, led to 1,000. Yeah. So suddenly, before I knew it, I gained a lot of weight. But worst of all was the tiredness and the moodiness that I had every day. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was so tired that I thought I had a severe illness. <laughs> but deep inside, you know, I could see that I was doing with sweets, uh, mainly chocolate and ice cream was my favorite drugs. Uh, the same thing I did with alcohol. I was hiding, sneaking, lying. Promised myself every morning that tonight I'm not going to do it. And I still did it. Yeah, I've been there. So at that time, I worked with an American lady from Chicago. So I... I said to her, you know, it's amazing. I could quit alcohol and cigarettes. How come I can't quit sugar? Or uh, I didn't know a lot about sugar. So I said, uh, sweets. Yeah. And she looked at me and said, you may be a food addict. And I about freaked out. Food addict? What's that? Never heard of. Mm. But she gave me some literature uh, from US. And then after that, she uh, uh, told me that there was a a workshop in uh, Chicago. And so I thought, well, I go there and learn. And that's when my trip started, 1993, in October. Yeah. And at that time, we didn't eat keto. We, were, we took away, you know, the sweets. But we ate whole grain and very low fat and actually very boring foods. Uh, you know, nothing. we f- didn't flavor anything because that would, was dangerous when you were a food addict. You might overeat and it was all kinds of things. Basically because there was not a lot of knowledge. Yeah. So uh, then I came home and people started asking me, what have you done? You look so healthy. (laughs) And I said, I'm a food addict. (laughs) And they said to me, what? Is that something modern to be in the US? And nobody understood what I was talking about. But people started calling me and asking me, you know, could you help me? I'm a food alcoholic. That's the terminology they used. You know, I'm like an alcoholic, but with food. Yes. And I'm very sick, overweight and sick. And not everybody was overweight, but they were sick. So I started the group in 1995. And, you know, the rest is history, as they say. But because I could see what a tremendous impact we could do with people if we uh, dealt with the food and understood that it was an addiction as any other addiction. So... uh, my treatment protocol has evolved over time and it was until 19 no i'm sorry 2005 the low carb movement in sweden started mm-hmm. and somebody mentioned a book to me and said do you know that you're mentioning this book about you know eat fat to lose fat it wasn't that title but something like that i don't remember exactly and i said what <laughs> so you know i started reading about low carb and i had met that before as atkins yes but I haven't really uh, studied it a lot. Yeah. But, you know, it, it made sense in a way. So there was no problem jumping on the wagon and, you know, listening to the people that were ahead of me in Sweden, like Dr. Annika Dahlqvist. She's the forerunner here in Sweden. Mm-hmm. 
And by the way, I had lunch with her yesterday, which was fun, you know, talking to her about her today. And then uh, Dr. Andreas Enfeld, you know, the one running yes, diet doctor. doctor yeah. yeah. So, uh, and the more I learned, the more I learned. But I realized that they did not understand addiction. They said to me stuff like, oh, well, if they only if they eat low carb, they be, be healthy. That's what they need to do. Mm. Yeah, if they could stick to it. Because the problem with food addicts is that we can stop, but we can't stay stopped. Yeah. You know, that is our uh, problem because we have, it's not the blood sugar that are playing havoc with us. It's the reward system and the neurotransmitters. Yeah. And that is very powerful. And, you know, eating is an instinct in the reptilian brain. So because once we need an addiction, to... pardon me? We need, to eat. we need to eat to live. You need to eat. You need to eat. Exactly. It's not like you don't need a cigarette. And you don't need, you don't need alcohol. alcohol, exactly. But you yeah. do need to eat. So this is a different ball game. So I started to protest against them and said, "Hey, you don't understand what you're talking about." Uh, and what I realized mainly as an addiction specialist, I'm uh, very well trained in meeting people and help them to understand through different tools we're using. If you have an, uh, if you're a social user. You know, the social users is the one we jokingly call normies. You know, they are the one that take a small piece of chocolate and said, ooh, that was rich. I don't want any more. <laughs> and they do the same with alcohol. Yeah. Because nothing happens in their brain. Yeah. So they don't have the cravings. They don't become obsessed. They don't lose control, which are key factors to think about. Then you have another group, which are called the harmful users. And they can get a lot of uh, uh, negative effects of their eating, but it's mainly because they are the emotional eaters, the comfort eaters, uh, the people that eat wrong because they don't have knowledge, yeah. uh, because they are stuck in a culture where you eat in a certain way. Uh, sometimes maybe because they don't bother you know, to, to understand nutrition. But if you really look at them and ask them specific questions, they are not addicts. And yeah. the third group is addicts. So with the harmful users, you can use moderation therapy, uh, coping mechanisms for stressors, teach them about food. I used to joke and say, stick a book about low carb in their hand and they can do it. And they yeah. stick to it. Yeah. The addicts, they have a totally different brain. They are, all of us are biochemically unique, which is very important to understand, as well as we look different and different fingerprints. Yes. So not uh, everybody should have the same fuel mix, is what I call it. You know, the ratio between protein, fat, and carbs. Yeah. And when I talk carbs, I mean uh, veggies above ground, basically. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, they don't react biochemically, physically. Uh, to things the same way as the social users and the harmful users. So addiction is very specific. I think they are the most sensitive people in the world biochemically. Yeah. That's why their reaction is so different. And uh, my take on that is that I think it is a, a, a miracle. It's magic to be born with this sensitive brain. Uh, so it's not a shame or a defect or anything. Yes. I love space research. So I used to compare it to, one of the most sensitive space telescope out in space, uh, taking pictures of galaxies. 
nobody would think that that's a weak or bad instrument, right? Yeah. It's incredibly sensitive. Yeah. So if you don't have the right tools, i.e. take a driver license on your brain, <laughs> you uh, will be a victim of this illness and fumble and fall and live in pain. So that is my favorite thing to help clients to understand what a magic brain they have. So how do you tell the difference between a harmful user and an addict? Okay. First of all, we have screening instruments, we have assessment instruments, and we have a tool that I've developed through the years together with a colleague, which is built up on the same tool you use to see if somebody have developed an alcohol, alcoholism or drug addiction. And it's based on international uh, criteria for illness, the mm. DSM-5 right. and the ICD-10. So it's very simple to go in there and, you know, on each of those criteria, uh, there are several questions because we don't set the diagnosis easily, uh, mm. not at all. So in that instrument, you ask about 67 questions, the one I have developed for sugar, uh, yeah. for sugar and flour and food, processed foods. Uh, and once you have done that, you know for sure if you have harmful use or if you are an addict. So uh, that's something I think, you know, every person struggling with food uh, should um, be able to have that uh, questionnaire done on them. It can only be done by certified specialists that are trained in it because it's a very specific way you ask the questions. So it's not random and it's not like, how much do you eat then? Which people think is a criteria. It's not. You can eat little sugar and flour and be very sick. You can yeah. eat a lot and not be so sick yeah. due to the biochemical uniqueness. So, um, so how much you eat and how often you eat is not a criteria for addiction. So this is what I do. I teach and train professionals, uh, certify them in the sugar instrument. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, you know, hopefully more and more people struggling with these problems can get help to understand, oh my goodness, I do have an addiction. And once people get the result, usually what they say to me, ooh, I knew it was bad, but didn't know it was this bad. Mm. But see, recovery can never take place uh, if you do not own your illness. You yes, have to surrender have- to understand that I do have this sensitive brain. My brain has developed an addiction. It is a chronic, uh, progressive, uh, relapsable Yes. A deadly illness if you don't arrest it. Yeah. So you don't have a chance if you don't embrace that. And the next step in that is to teach people about their brains. I love teaching people about how the brain functions and why it goes wrong. And that's when they really start realizing, oh, I don't have enough connections, you know, so- uh, neuron connections up in my brain. That's why I don't um, ha- that's why I uh, don't have impulse control. That's why I can't plan. That's why I feel miserable. So now they understand the physical nature of the illness in the brain. And then, of course, the next step is then to provide them with tools. How do you rewire your brain? And I love rewiring brains and see yeah. the light come on in people. And the first, of course, most important thing to rewire your brain uh, is Uh, You can't go to the hardware store to buy stuff to rebuild your brain with. Mm. You need to eat right food. And that is keto. 
that is, uh, you know, clean products, good food, good fats. Yes. And then each one has, we also provide uh, our patients with the tools how to figure out the fuel mix. And that can change over time. So let's say I started with what we would call a liberal low carb in 2005 and realized through the years that milk products, not butter and ghee, but other milk products would trigger craving in me or make me feel uh, swollen and make me feel tired. And, you know, I can have occasionally whipped cream, but if I have that a lot, you know, I want more. Mm. That's how the addictive brain works. Yeah. Not everyone is that sensitive, but most sugar addicts react to milk products like cheese and sour cream and whipped cream and all that. So mm. that has to go. And then, of course, it comes to the thing of nuts. Everybody say nuts is so good, but you know, they contain a lot of inflammatory omega-6 yes. fatty acid. And of course, and I used to joke to my clients, they said, do you think I could have nuts on my food plan? And then I said, sure. If you can take one nut, put it on a plate, use a knife and a fork and eat one, and then wait to the next day to eat another one. <laughs> and addicts can't do that. <laughs> yeah, They start munching. And also we cannot do snacks. I mean, if we, we can't eat between meals. We can't fast. All the intermittent fasting is very dangerous for us. Because of the sensitivity in our brains, you know, usually that leads to relapse. Mm. There's a lot of things within the community in keto, low carb, that is excellent. Very good knowledge for us. I used to say, go to the diet doctor page, read everything, learn about the body and insulin and cholesterol and, you know, all those kind of things. But please read it with your addiction goggles. Yes. Yeah. So because if you do the that, same. then you can use a lot, but you can't use everything. Because they don't give advice to addicts. They give advice to harmful users or social users. Yeah. So that's very important to understand. So basically, that was very quick, but that's how I work. Okay. And so um, can you just explain how sugar affects the neurotransmitters? Well, uh, of course, uh, it, um, what, it's like cocaine, basically. You know, when we get that in the system... There's a lot of other things happening too with the blood sugar and all that. But uh, what it does, it, it gives a huge release of, for instance, dopamine. Yeah. Dopamine is a very pleasurable thing to have your brain loaded with. I mean, imagine being falling in love. You know, anyone that's been falling in love know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. You're not tired. You're not angry. You're happy all the time. You don't have to sleep. You're not hungry. Woohoo! I mean, you're high. <laughs> so that's what it does in the beginning. And that's, you know, doesn't happen in everyone eating sugar. So the ones that get it in their system and this starts happening, you are on a terrible, terrible vicious circle where the more dopamine that is released, the less dopamine is left in the brain. So you increase your tolerance, you increase the amount you eat over time. Yeah. But in the long run, and this is too complicated and long to explain, but there's something in the brain called upregulating and downregulating which is what plays havoc with us. So in the end, we have, you know, uh, not enough dopamine. So that's why we start eating more and more, even though we feel miserable. So uh, actually what it does is that it gives this initial high, 
and then it makes you very depressed, uh, makes you moody, uh, sad, uh, unpleasant, tired, uh, you know, nothing is fun. And a big thing is that you lose all your energy. Yeah. And people think they really are depressed, but they are not really depressed in the clinical um, meaning. Uh, what you have is, uh, I used to say, loss of energy on cellular level. Yes. And if you don't have any energy and you have this on off in your brain and tiredness, nothing is fun. That's why you think you're depressed. Mm. So that's what it does. It plays havoc among your neurotransmitters. And also uh, when people eat, for instance, grain, flour, that uh, plays havoc with your intestines. Yes. So in the long run, you know, uh, your body will not take up nutrients and the reason, uh, I mean, junk food is not full of good proteins like meat, fish, chicken, and so forth. And those are the most important foods to eat in order to increase your neurotransmitter mm. because they need to be broken down in your stomach, taken up in your intestine, and that is called then amino acids. And that's what the body's building block to neurotransmitters. So, of course, you're going to get Lower and lower, lower and lower in good neurotransmitters. And this is the reason, too, why people start turning to alcohol. Because once you have done sugar too long, you don't have any effect of it. So you start trying something stronger. Yeah. And what we see, this is called addiction interaction disorder. So sugar is a gateway drug that leads to other outlets. Mm, and this is, a, this is a battle to try to feel good. And in the meantime, you start developing a lot of strange behaviors like starving. That's what people, some people call anorexia. I don't work with eating disorders. I don't, I think eating disorders is um, a lot of the time wrongly diagnosed uh, coping strategies or trying to control strategies uh, in an addict. Yeah. So, and then you, when you starve, you, you can't do it for long. Your brain is going to scream. And then you binge eat or overeat, which we call volume addiction. Yeah. And then you turn into bulimia or excessive exercising. And these are actually coping strategies or uh, try to control strategies mm. in a food addict. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, the tra traditional way to work with so-called eating disorders is moderation therapy which is absolutely very dangerous and wrong with an addict mm. because they can never uh, heal if you do that to them. So that's another reason to use sugar because then you can see addiction started here, anorexia, bulimia, whatever you want to call those coping strategies started over here later. Yes. Yeah. So they've been using sugar as a, a sort of vehicle for feeling good for many years well, before they reach... Yeah, and it's very stage. important to understand that addiction is not caused by anything. It's not caused by trauma or feelings or, uh, you know, any other thing. It's a primary illness, but it starts so early that you don't understand that. It takes many years. And by that time, you know, the uh, emotional roller coaster and the problems you experience are consequences of the brain illness. Mm. So it's very important to put the horse in front of the wagon. Yeah. Yeah. Because how many people have done therapy to try to figure out why they have such a crazy eating behavior? Probably very few. <laughs> very few. 
everybody have done that. You know, try to analyze why do I do this? How do I, uh, therapy, by therapy, therapy. By, them, by themselves, you mean, or with a professional? I bet and there's no, not many. No, but they're going to all kinds of therapy. Uh, and this is the question I meet so much. Um, uh, help me to find out why I do this. And I tell you, honey, there is no why. Addiction is a primary illness. It's not caused by anything. It's the drug making your brain addicted. It's about your brain. Yeah. So we have to start in the other way. And the consequences, which are physical, psychological, social, and spiritual, is something you have to deal with later once your brain is rewired and healed. So I said, no therapy the first two years. Learn to live with your addiction first. Then you can do therapy. Do you mm. see what I mean? That's, that's what I mean, putting the horse in front of the wagon. Yes. So you deal with, I guess you're saying that you're dealing with the food aspect first, get some real nutrition in, keep the sugar Rebuild out. Rebuild the brain needs, needs good quality material. Yeah. And then of course I work with a lot of other things like the biochemical repair. Uh, I use breathing techniques, uh, sleep, physical mm -hmm. activity, sometimes supplements. Yeah. And we build that once, you know, you help somebody to restore their body and brain and you get all the energy back, then you can do, then the sky is the limit. Then you can take care of any other problems you have in your life, but you can't start the other way around to try to deal with the problems that mm. the drug cost without taking away the drug. Yeah. So that's my basic experience. So when you started going to low carb, what cravings did you particularly notice? Well, uh, the craving never disappears for us because uh, the addiction is extremely powerful. And we call that addiction memory circuit or euphoric recall. So if you're an addict, you know, cravings will occur. And that's why it's important to work with craving management. What do you do when you have a craving? And, you know, I use many, many tools, but one thing is, you know, uh, we have this metaphor where we talk about the addictive part of us as the red dog, you know, that sneaky, cunning, baffling, powerful little sucker that wants us to eat. <laughs> you know what I talk about? Yeah, definitely. And then the red, yeah, the red dog is the healthy part of us. So, you know, we used to say, which one do you think going to win? Well, you know, the one you nurture. And that means not only with food, it means behavior. It means everything. So, uh, you know, when, when that little uh, 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 red dog will tell you, oh, you've been a good girl today. Maybe we should have a little bit ice cream or pop, pop, pop. So first of, thing, first of the thing we say, nope, stop. Uh, because we say, if it's not an option, it's not a problem. Mm. So if you once have accepted that you have this addiction, you know, you can never take that bite again. So we say one bite is too much and a thousand is not enough. Yeah. And nothing will be better because you pick up again. So it's like with any other addiction. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things we do. And also, of course, learning about healthy living, balanced healthy living in all aspects of life will minimize cravings. Yes. So you have this uh, commitment. So I tell my clients to uh, every morning say this, no matter what happens today, I'm not going to pick up. So I made that promise to myself. And the amazing thing with us humans is that 
if I promise a friend of mine that we will go to the movies tonight, it's, I'm not going to, uh, you know, stood her up, stand no. her up or forget about it or ignore her or uh, cancel in the last minute or just, you know, be like that. If I made a commitment, I will go. Yes. When we do commitments to ourselves, we don't, we, we never do that. So that's one of the things I said, you, your commitment to yourself is the most important thing, more than your children, your friends, your family, anyone to you first. So make a commitment in the morning. And then the next step in the morning is to see what do I need to do today to put my recovery first? Mm. Okay. Not what do I want to do today? It's what do I need to do today? That's a different ball game. And what kind of health factors will I use today physically, psychologically, socially, and spiritually? Spiritually is just live, uh, uh, living uh, energy, meaning, living, what's fun, what's, what uh, evolves you, what develops me. Yes. So we think about that, you know, and try to, uh, you know, do that equally. So it's not only physical, because if you're still focused on the food and the weight and the food and the weight, you're not going to heal. Mm. No way. You need to change thoughts, feelings, urges, behavior. Yes. And you need support. And the support has to be from others having this illness that is ahead of you. Because nobody understands, you know, that if they don't have this illness, they will not understand how our brain functions. Mm. So that's why it's so important. And I used to say so many people have tried uh, the psychologist or the uh, therapy, this and that and so forth with people that have no training in addiction medicine. And I used to say, that's like going to the gynecologist when you broke a leg. Yes. That's stupid. It's not the wrong, do that. right place to go. It's not the right place to go. Yeah. And so um, how can people find out about who is an addiction therapist? Well, <clears throat> if you go to my website, you know, there is a column for sugar, the name of the instrument is sugar. Uh, and uh, if you look there, who is certified in sugar, you can contact one of those professionals and ask them to do a sugar on you. Mm. So that's the best way to do it. Or mail me and I can suggest people, you know. Yeah. But on my website, on the English website, under patient help, there is a list, a PDF, where all those uh, are listed. And there are quite a lot of people trained today. So you can always find one. And you can also go to the Swedish website because several of those work in English. And you can do it by Zoom like this. Yeah, okay, great. You can do the interview by Zoom uh, and the follow-up. <clears throat> and then you get also a treatment plan, suggestion. This is what you need to do. Mm. This is your chronological map over your life. And here's where you need to start. So and that will be easy to, that will be different for everybody. Absolutely, because absolutely, we're all yeah. bio individual. Yes, absolutely. Right. So, what benefits have you found personally um, since moving onto a keto way of living? Well, you know, uh, I took away. This is a slow adaption process, so it wasn't you know done from one day to the other. No, I was time. listening to my body and then the milk products uh, had to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course that restored, I had a more balanced energy, most of all, and less cravings. And then daring to eat fat. You know how fat shamed we are? Yes. That was scary to start 
slabbing butter on stuff and pour olive oil here and coconut oil and MCT oil and ghee and oh, uh, that took a <laughs> while to adapt into. Yeah. Uh, and then also uh, salt and red meat, uh, you know, starting to really uh, do salt shot or eat red meat, which I've always loved, but we were scared. Yes. So I used to say, you know, the thing that the industry has scared us of is being in the sun, eating salt and red meat and butter. So that's what we should do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Go the I opposite way. Uh, you know, and uh, then uh, I took away nuts. Yeah. You know, uh, that was also very good. Uh, and uh, it's been a slow process like that and only using fruit oils. Uh, you know, the canola oil is big in Sweden, ecological canola oil. Uh, <laughs> it's many years since I quit that, but you know, I've quit stuff like that. Yes. So I'm slowly have adapted. So uh, today, you know, uh, at 67, I would think I'm, I feel better than I did when I was 50. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very grateful, very grateful. And actually the interesting thing in my nurse training, 71 to 73, we learned that epilepsy should be treated with a high-fat uh, food plan. Ketogenic diet. Yeah. And with, yeah, ketogenic diet. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So we have sort of, you know, and when the pill industry came with all the pills, you know, all that uh, deep, profound knowledge went away. Yeah. We, I think we, we shifted to thinking that something in a pill was much better yeah. than anything that yeah. was, came before. Yeah, yeah, of course we did. And that's really been terrible, terrible, how yeah. that have fooled us. I think that and, and the way the food industry has gone, because we, up until that point, probably mid-70s, we were eating fresh food, normal food, yeah. not yeah. snacking, not much yeah. chocolates. Yeah. Um, I, I, all the Occasional cinnamon bun. Yeah. I mean, that was maybe the nastiest thing we had done with the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. No, no energy drinks, no sodas in that way. It's uh, today. I feel so sorry for children and young people today. They are so nutritionally deficient. Yeah. Yeah. And depressed and tired and moody and, you know, yeah. All those things. And it's, they're just bombarded. I think now I know t I don't watch TV much. I've never been a great TV watcher, but, when I do see it and when, you know, it's on in the house, I'm so aware now of how much of those adverts are food related, everything all the time, even in the TV programs, they're always talking about food, they're eating donuts, they're getting coffee. It's become a whole way of living that it's really hard to escape. Brainwashing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same in the papers, you know, there's at least three, four articles every day about uh, romance around alcohol, you know, and then um, uh, food, food, food. Yeah. What wine is best with your McDonald's? Mm. I mean, that's sick. <laughs> <need McDonald's>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. my, my children, I think when they were little, they went into McDonald's once to go to the toilet because we needed the toilets. We went in, but they were never given a McDonald's um till they were about nine and the school took them to mcdonald's i was so angry i said how, how can you do this 
Um, they'd never had McDonald's, but initially they didn't even want to eat it because they thought it was so bad. My husband used to say to them, um, if you're naughty, I'm going to take you to McDonald's. <laughs> and so they go, no, 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 I don't want to go. Oh, so they had it in their in their head, but now it's changed. You know, they're they're older now. They're sixteen. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's all I changed. But yeah, and I never, I'm, I'm never been into flour. You know, bread. Yeah. Oh. So that's why I didn't like McDonald's because I didn't like that squishy, horrible bread. Yeah. And not with hot dogs either. Hot dogs is big in Sweden. I never liked the bread. I think mm. it's like a sponge. Uh, and uh, so I'm grateful for that because I was what I've seen in my practice too that the bread addicts they have the worst addiction they have much more cravings than the pure sugar addicts and they it's harder to get off the bread because you know it's so ingrained in our culture too that bread is healthy and when they relapse it's harder to get them back on track yeah so it's something think, with bread that's very powerful I, I think or I was pasta a, or yeah, well flour yes that was me. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of my clients are bread lovers. Yeah. Pasta, macaroni, bread. Yeah, that was me. Great. Um, so um, have you noticed any health benefits since um, coming off all the grains and sugars? Of course, of course, you know. Most of all, uh, uh, you know, no cravings hardly. So less, very little cravings. It can't happen now and then, but then, you know, it's easy to brush away or use a tool or uh, never any great hunger. I feel satisfied. Uh, I have, and most of all, I think what I love, I'm a speed freak. You know, I like to have a lot of energy and do a lot of stuff. So my energy level is incredible stable. I never have those afternoon dips. Once in a while, I can be a little bit tired and then I take a salt shot and a huge glass of water. That's Mm. my uh, way of doing that. Uh, And then, uh, you know, less, uh, more um, uh, flexible in my body, you know, because you're not swollen. You're not insulin swollen. So it's easier to run around and move. And, you know, I've never really been, I'm a dog lover. I have dogs for 35 years. So, you know, I walk a lot. I'm out in nature, I'm walking every day. And, uh, uh, but I've never really been into gym. But, you know, the idea of gym is not that bad. So I'm starting to do a little bit of training and I like it. And and if you asked me that 15 years ago, I said, what, me? Never. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it increases your energy to move. Uh, and of course, I use other tools too, like the breathing techniques and, you know, sleeping, hygiene, maybe you should call it or whatever. And uh, having a lot of fun, doing a lot of fun stuff, you know, being with my uh, pack, as I call them, my wolf pack, my blue wolf pack. <laughs> but uh, physically, uh, I think the biggest reward is the totally stable energy. I can forget that it's lunchtime. Yes, I do eat regularly because I want. It's I feel. I think you know. I'm I'm this uh, sports car, you know. I'm like a Ferrari, uh, is what I jokingly say. So it needs to fill up on fuel now and then. So I do that. Right. I don't jump meals. Um, I don't mess around with food like that. Uh, I usually mostly have food ready in my fridge to just heat up and I cook big, you know, a huge amount of food when I do in my oven, in my crock pot, in my iron skillet. So I have food for several days and I don't mind eating the same thing for lunch and dinner. Mm. Not yeah. at all. 
I because I, all I care about is that food is medicine and fuel. I never obsess about fuel, food, because you know I know that I get my nutritional needs met at you know uh, certain times during the day, and I'm so satisfied with that. So, what would a, an average day look like in terms of food for you? Well, usually I have, you know, the bulletproof in the morning, the fat coffee. So yep. I get a shot of fat mm-hmm. a lot in the morning uh, because I love coffee too. So I haven't quit that. I don't drink as much as I used to do, but, you know, I love coffee. Yeah. But I also drink decaf. And then at lunchtime, uh, we could take today. Uh, I have food prepared. So at lunchtime today, I would have some white fish. I don't know the English name of it. Uh, mm-hmm. with butter and some Brussels sprouts and um, shrimps. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would eat for lunch today. And then for dinner, I would have hamburgers, my own homemade hamburgers. Of course, yes. it's just pure meat. Yeah. And probably I have some leftover Brussels sprouts that I finish off then. And uh, maybe some uh, uh, butter with some spices. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like I could have garlic or, you know, you know, I spiff it up like that. Yes. So that would be like a day for me. And I try to eat before 6 p.m. And then I don't eat anything more. And I'm satisfied. Yeah. So, and I don't have any snack between lunch is usually 12, 1. And uh, no snacks. Mm. Uh, As I said, I try to drink uh, plenty of water between my meals and an occasional decaf. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Have you had any aha moments things that you've that you've just found out about yourself that have just sort of blown your mind to say oh wow I didn't realize that oh I have those all the time (laughs) (laughs) you know uh, the more you learn uh, the more you look back and and realize things so it it could be you know when I'm listening to others my patients or students sharing things I could think oh yeah I did that too I never thought of that and that's connected to that you know I can't remember any sp- very specific right now, but that's been, you know, for years yes. uh, going on like that. And, you know, uh, I, well, the, the thing that I think is most important or interesting, I should say, interesting, there are two topics. One is about learning more about mitochondria mm-hmm. in yourselves. Yeah, uh, I would love more time to study more of that, but right now I don't have enough time because I'm teaching so much. So I've learned some things there about those little powerhouses. Yes. I think it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And the other one is, you know, the new way of looking at insulin, that fasting blood sugar is not important, but insulin is, you know, mm. how to measure follow-up insulin resistance, the metabolic syndrome, the new HOMA IR, you know, how we can, uh, because it's still that, uh, you know, the, the doctor's office take fasting insulin and build, you know, their knowledge about the client up on that. And that's way, way, way too little. So we need Fasting to, you know, blood sugar or insulin. Yeah. Yeah. Blood but that's sugar. basically yeah. what they do, you know, when they yeah. test you, but that doesn't tell you the picture. No. So, you know, uh, to understand fasting insulin and what, uh, an insulin resistance or hyperinsulinemia, as I call it, uh, I think that's most important right now. And I'm very lucky because one of my former students, she's an engineer and she's now a health engineer. She has written this book about the metabolic symptom and, and she studied Joseph Kraft, the father of insulin. Yes. 
Yeah. And so this book is excellent and I can't wait until it's out there so I can share it with everybody. Read this, read this. What's <laughs> so the name? That's... Has it got a name yet? But it isn't in English. Uh, it's only in Swedish. Swedish. Mm. Yeah, that'd be really <laughs> But I hope it's going to be translated one day. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got a couple of books that are in Swedish that are coming well, out in uh, English. I have done, uh, I did my first book about sugar addiction in 2004. Yeah. An updated version 2006 and the latest updated version 2015. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the process of trying to get it translated, but it's not there yet. That is a long project. And then I've done two cookbooks, the sugar-free cooking. Uh, one, uh, I think it was 2010, maybe. I don't yeah. remember. And the latest was about a year ago, the updated version. Because, of course, you know, at that time we didn't have the keto. And now we updated to keto and we're going to update. Uh, actually, it's uh, the way I teach today is even more keto than it's in my cookbook. But it is for starters. Mm. And um, a client that, you know, have uh, sugar pouring out of the ears, uh, you can't put them on a strict keto plan the first day, many of them, because, you know, they collapse. Mm. So you start sort of with a low carb and then you ease into keto. Yes. Yeah. So that's interesting or important to understand about these clients to be careful. Some can do it. Some can't. Some can't. Yeah. Yeah. They're too sick. They have too much insulin resistant and, you know, broken um, intestinal flora and all kinds of things. So you have to be aware of that. Yeah. In Sweden, how easy is it to get a fasting insulin test? Not easy, but it's coming. Okay. More and more. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. more and more. <laughs> I was just talking where well, we were WhatsApping because she's in Australia uh, this morning with um, Louise Reynolds, who's been on episode one and also helped me with the starting keto episode. And yeah. um, I was saying, you know, I need to make some changes. These things are not quite right for me. And she said, we'll do an insulin test and I, I think I need to do that and I'm going to have to find a way to pay for it myself and get it done because I don't think the doctors yeah. are going to do it that's very hard to get it's the same here and also pro-insulin which is another excellent test to take so you know no a very few places can do it mm. yeah but we're going to teach them we will teach them with time <laughs> with time yeah we will do yeah. it by yes. asking and asking and, and nagging and asking and all the, you know, the information that's coming out now, there's just so much more, isn't there? That yeah, that's what I want they, Eva's book, so I can knock uh, the doctor in the head with Eva's book. Yeah, well, I have to might have to learn Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I'll get you You're to um, get you to translate it for me. <laughs> so before we finish with the last few questions, how can people get in contact with you if they want to find out more about you? Contact you on social media. Well, you know, uh, they can go by my name on Instagram, although, you know, Instagram is not my biggest social media because I think it's just uh, food plates and that's boring, uh, you know. Uh, but uh, they can go to my Facebook page, Bitten's Addiction, okay. which is where I put out a lot of information, and my website, bittensaddiction.com. Yes. And I'm on Diet Doctor. They can ask me questions on Diet Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that's a very good way to reach me. And uh, we also have support groups. Uh, so send me an email if you want help and I can refer you to my colleagues and I can, uh, you know, help you find your way with support groups or so. And, and now for the first time, I have a lot of people from England, you know, asking me they want help. And uh, I have looked and looked and asked people to find somebody working with holistic addiction medicine for sugar addicts. And I didn't find anyone until I found Jen Anwin, yes, Dr. Anwin. And uh, so she and I started communicating. And now we're going to do a four-day intensive workshop in Bristol in May. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it's so around the event. It's on my website. That event is on my website. So. And is that for professionals or? Both, both, both. You oh. can come and be my trainee to learn how to work with it. And you can take it as a patient. It's basically for patients, but we also have trainees come in and learn. Oh, excellent. And is that just before? Because I noticed you're speaking at the public health collaboration. Yeah, it's my... right after. after. It's right after. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone interested in there, send me a mail. I just started this morning to send out the detailed information. So if you send me an email, I will provide you with all the information you need to apply for that. And so, and we have a huge interest. So anyone that really wants, uh, uh, you know, to have a spot there should actually make their mind up pretty quick Yeah. Uh, because it's of course limited participants. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So to finish up with, yeah. looking, looking back on your keto journey, what, if anything, mm -hmm. would you do differently? Oh, I wish I found it uh, sooner. Yeah. <laughs> don't all, don't all of us. Yes. Um, it's still, you know, a learning process. And, you know, I'm an addiction freak, so I'm not into uh, recipes and learning a lot about keto or, you know, diving into the details there because I have so many specialists around me that I can refer to. Mm. Uh, but of course, you know, it, I, I wish we had found it easier. And I also wish that many on the keto pages would understand that they can't deal with addicts. Uh, that they would refer addicts, people that struggle to us specialists mm. so we could work together because then if we deal with addiction first, they will succeed with the keto much, much better later on. Yes. So we need to sort of collaborate, you know, we need to connect the dots. Mm. So I also wish that, that we would uh, communicate over boundaries more, over knowledge uh, bubbles, as I call it. And, uh, you know, that we dare stand up for it and educate the public mm. and the medical system. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. my goodness. Salt is dangerous. Ooh, my goodness. Butter is dangerous. And, uh, you know, all that. Uh, but we need to be persistent, you know, to keep teaching because there are so many. I mean, it's amazing to see somebody. Uh, you know, being very overweight, very, very sick to start this journey. Mm. And this happens a lot to me in Sweden because, you know, I've worked for it for 26 years over here. So I'm out lecturing somewhere in Sweden and somebody come up to me beaming, looking really healthy and fresh and said, hi. And I said, hi. <laughs> and don't you recognize me? And I said, no, should I? <laughs> and they said, well, I was in treatment with you 10 years ago. And look at this. <laughs> happy, happy, happy. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that is the blessing of this work. 
yeah. to be able to see that. That's a nice feeling. So, you know, I wish I could share that more with maybe the, the public, that they would listen yeah. and not be so stuck in their old rut. Yes. Well, we've been indoctrinated and brainwashed for oh, many yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 Even yeah. I didn't buy into a lot of the brainwashing. I never stopped eating red meat. And I never stopped eating butter. Oh, but I it, never either. Never, but it, ever it either. still was there. The, that thought was there that I shouldn't be doing this and I should be vegetarian and I should eat more, I don't know, rice crackers. More greens. But, um, Horrible. Yeah. I agree with you totally. Yeah. I, so and that's me that's not particularly brainwashed but i was still was yeah uh, me too yeah yeah yeah, yeah you yeah. can't help and it. i remember you know during nursing school uh, how we starved ourselves to diet we were so obsessed with dieting dieting i used to say that if women were obsessed with diet and weight we would reach you know the stars mm, yeah. can you imagine all that energy letting loose out there to do stuff <laughs> wow yeah we'd be unstoppable Yes, yes, yes. So do you have any tips to give anybody starting on low carb or keto? What three tips would you give them? Well, I I would say that first of all, you know, if you suspect that you have an addiction, you need to do that first. Mm. There's no other way around it because you need to know what you're up against. Otherwise, you will probably fail and you feel like a failure, but you're not a failure and you're not doing anything wrong. You just got the wrong toolbox. Yes. So you need to add a better toolbox. So I think that's one of the other problem. But because if you're a social user and a harmful user, it's easy. Get some books, start learning, practicing, you know, try. Yeah. That's an easy way. Yeah. And then. So that's my. And if you're struggling, then you might need to look deeper. into. Yeah, the have the guts to do that because you're going to really invest in your health for the future. Great. Yeah. It's been fabulous to talk to you. You're really passionate about your subject and I, I really love that. And it's really, you know, I know how important sugar is and that addiction and, you know, you can see it highlighting in the brain patterns of uh, people oh, yeah. where it lights oh, yeah. up the same as cocaine or alcohol. Yeah. So... But it's, it's a hard. very, very powerful uh, psychoactive drug. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a hard, hard habit to break. Yeah. Yeah. We're exposed to it so early and it's always around us. Yeah. And we have a lot of food pushers and saboteurs that want us to eat because they eat. So, you know, it's a tough battle yeah. to go out there. Mm. So you need a lot of strength and you need a lot of good support. Yeah. Great. I'm glad you're out there doing it for people and teaching others how to do it as well. Yeah. Thank you for what you are doing, spreading the message. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good. So thank you. Thank you. Well, Jackie, that was another insightful journey and one which really resonates with me in terms of how I have managed to really address what I call my disorderly eating, not necessarily a diagnosed disordered eating, but something that has resonated with the addictive quality of certain foods, which I know I cannot moderate at all that I need to abstain. So certainly after this podcast, I will be going and assessing using Bitten's checklist and um, her appraisal tool to sort of determine whether I really engage in harmful 
harmful habits or harmful ways of eating or I actually have a food addiction. Yes, and I think what we need to recognise is that for some people it is an addiction like alcoholism or cocaine or drugs and that you can't just say to people just have just have a small piece or just have a little bit because it's it's just not they just can't cope with that and I think we need to recognize that for some people that is true and that's right I mean as much as they may well be well-meaning friends and family and I certainly have understood that that's my language of love is obviously preparing food and you know having having bountiful supplies of roast potatoes on your plate is a way that I show my love and you know for people but you're right I mean the well-meaning friends and family are actually not necessarily being a drug dealer but you know dispensing their love through potatoes but it is obviously a thing about understanding the neurotransmitters that are involved in this these various pathways do have this addictive dependency quality that needs to be um, respected Mm. I suppose that's one way of saying it. And it's, you know, it's a very serious condition that that people need to get help for. Mm. And I know that we've spoken a lot about um, Gretchen Rubin's work and being moderators and abstainers and being able to do that. And I certainly having that particular habit or identifying that habit of abstaining and needing to abstain from trigger foods has been immensely helpful. So Bitten's work has really been able to reframe some of that as well in understanding the neurotransmitter pathways. Mm. And you can find the show notes at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero one one. Hey Jackie, you know when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweetness? Absolutely, yeah. Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything. You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions, which we will answer on these episodes. The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, we will happily answer your questions. You don't have to be new to keto, so if you're further along in your journey and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall, then feel free to submit your questions as well. Just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, fabulouslyketo1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle 
fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories. And this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.